You're joining in today on the services of the Broomfield Baptist Church. This is the pastor bringing the Sunday morning message from Matthew and chapter number 6. You'll find our passage of study in verses 16 through 18 for today. And we invite you to follow along with your Bible in hand in the book of Matthew and chapter number 6 and verse number 16. The scriptures say, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, gracious Heavenly Father, I ask your blessing upon this time in your word. I pray that you would make it profitable for us to understand your mind on this aspect of fasting. We thank you for the words of our Savior who left these things for us to ponder and to meditate. As we follow Him, Lord, may each of us grow in the grace and knowledge of Him and His Word. And I pray, Lord, that You would enable me today through the Holy Spirit's power to feed the flock of God which is among me. Having first meditated and studied Your Word, may You bring to light those things that we need to help us in our walk with Christ. And I'll thank You for what You accomplish in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we approach Matthew in chapter number 6, I need to confess to you today that I do something a little outside of the ordinary for me, uh, and that is simply that I bring no notes with me to this message. I don't have a formal outline per se for you to fill in the blanks to follow along. I felt... Um, restrained from the Holy Spirit for doing that for this Sunday. Now, please don't misunderstand. That does not mean that uh, there was no preparation or planning or any of the other steps for sermon pre preparation that went into the process. Uh, believe me, I spent my time studying and meditating. But what I was hesitant to do for you today was to provide a point-by-point -point outline which uh, might uh, be construed as a, a way that you can take this away and, and go fast and do it like your pastor says you need to fast. I, I think that that would be a great mistake and would not do justice to the scriptures that, uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to look at this morning here today. And so as we begin, I want you to understand I am not giving you a set pattern necessarily on uh, this is the right way to do this. I think fasting is um, ambiguous in the scriptures uh, many times on purpose. So the simple a definition of a fast would be to fast from food or fast from anything, to abstain from anything that, that you would normally partake of. And so fasting is a very broad idea. And so uh, I think uh, fasting and the simplicity of it is not hard to grasp. We say no to something and uh, we abstain from something, then we're technically fasting. And I fast all the time, but that doesn't mean I'm fasting. And what I mean by that is there are times in my life where I uh, inevitably, through the busyness and the chaos of everything that takes over, I will, I will skip a meal here or there, and, and I get so busy in things that I, I wind up not eating uh, when I should, and probably I should <laughs> have a better routine on that and be more structured because it would probably be healthier for me. But uh, life takes over sometimes, and, and we say no to a meal here, or we say no to a meal there. And, and while technically that's fasting, uh, that's not fasting because it's not fasting the way Jesus is talking about fasting here because there's no, uh, there's no purpose for God in that fast. It's simply uh, just the circumstances that are, that are moving me to... Uh, to have to miss that meal, but I'm not really seeking God while I'm doing that. And so as we look at the Bible and what the Bible has to say about fasting, I hope to uh, help you understand that today a little bit better and give you some things from the Word of God that will, uh, will enable you to 
seek the Lord and to understand this aspect of fasting better. And as you put this into your uh, personal walk with God, it would become so much more meaningful for you uh, to be able to understand God's mind on fasting. And I I hope and trust I'll be able to do that with you here uh, in our brief time. I think the best way that we could approach this topic this morning is to first off consider uh, how not to fast. And let me give you some biblical examples of the wrong way of fasting, if you would. And so as we think about this idea of fasting for the wrong reasons, or fasting in the wrong manner, or fasting uh, fasting in an improper way, uh, I want to draw your attention to the Bible particularly because I think God gives good precedent in His Word for what I'm going to share with you later in this message. And Uh, I did scour the commentaries and uh, could find no one that presented the material that I'm going to share with you in in just a few moments about Matthew in chapter number 6. But before we look at that passage in particular, we need to understand the larger context. Context is king. That was ingrained in me when I was in Bible school learning how to study the Bible. And so what that simply means is that we begin with a word in a verse. And we look at that word and we try to understand that word, but we make sure that that word stays connected to the surrounding words in that verse and that uh, we understand the flow of that verse. And then once we understand the context of that verse, we move out to the context of the paragraph. And uh, that paragraph then moves out to the chapter in which that paragraph would be found in your Bible. And then from the chapter, we move out to the book or the section in the book that we're studying. And then from the section or the book that we're studying in the Bible, we then take the broader perspective and take context back to the to the testament in which that paragraph and that book and that verse and that word is found. And then after we've considered the testament, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, we connect it to the larger view of Scripture and we consider the whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And so before we look at what Jesus has said about fasting, we need to understand the larger context. In the day in which Jesus Christ would have given these words, and as soon as he would have uh, mentioned the word fast to his disciples, when ye fast, he has already talked about almsgiving with them, he has talked about prayer with them and given them a model for prayer, he has expounded and and, uh, and help them understand the place of the law and that they can have God's mind on the law and why He gave it. And God's more concerned about the inside of us than the outside of us. And our righteousness as His disciples must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees because it comes from an inward transformation of the Word of God. And so before we understand what Jesus says about fasting, we need to understand what uh, probably would have come up in their mind when He mentioned the word fast. In uh, the day in which Jesus Christ walked the earth, fasting had evolved uh, quite a a bit from when we read in the earlier portions of the scriptures and and, uh, the first accounts of fasting, the command that God gave to fast on a certain day of the year to the nation of Israel. And so by the time we come to the day of Jesus, fasting had taken on a very religious, uh, very uh, ritualistic, uh, connotation. And so uh, you have the account, uh, for example, of the Pharisee who uh, admitted that he fasted twice to, twice a week. And so as I consulted the commentaries, uh, many of the commentators pointed out that those days were probably uh, Tuesday and Thursday. And so uh, those were the fast days for the Jews because they would be the market days. And so that plays into what Jesus is saying here because those were the days they could go to town, they could go to the market, and everyone could see them that they were fasting. And so when he talks about having your hair uh, disheveled and, and having, having a somber look about you, having disfigured your face and maybe even painting that white to make it look like you haven't eaten and you look pale from that, you carry around a sad countenance. The whole purpose was so that they could go to the market and everyone could see how spiritual they were on Tuesday and on Thursday because they fasted and, uh, and this was so spiritual for them to do and it was more to be seen of men rather than try, to try to get a hold 
household of God. So how did they get to that place in the nation of Israel? That's the question I had in the back of my mind. What brought them to this place of ritualism where they had missed the mark on fasting and our Savior comes to set them in correction on that, to help them understand, to help His disciples in particular, those who are saved and following the Lord, to help them understand how to properly fast in order to get a hold of God. Well, let's go back to the Old Testament and let's consider some passages that I think will help us understand uh, fasting. And I won't necessarily turn to chapter and verse. I will just uh, look at the Old Testament and tell you about some incidents where we see uh, the nation of Israel fasting in particular. Not only did the nation fast at particular times, but we also have the record of individuals fasting. Uh, Those individuals who fasted, I believe they would have fasted properly, so let's not uh, misunderstand that. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights as he was trying to get a hold of God. Uh, We see Daniel fasting and praying, and uh, he and his men that are with him there in Babylon in captivity are fasting, and they're refraining from the king's meat. They're abstaining from eating meat uh, sacrificed unto idols so that they can keep themselves pure for God. There was a purpose in seeking God for their fasting. We think about uh, others in the Bible who might have fasted and, uh, and prayed and sought the Lord for things. But think about the nation as a whole with me, if you would, for just a moment. And let's consider the times that we see the nation of Israel fasting. As we consider the nation of Israel, I want you to know up front that there was one fast that God commanded for that nation. And that fast would have been uh, on the Day of Atonement, which is a picture of salvation. It was a, a picture of faith that Messiah would one day come and take away the sin of the world. And so the Day of Atonement was the day when the high priest of Israel would go into the Holy of Holies, and having first atoned for his own sins uh, with the blood of an animal, he would take the blood uh, of another animal, and he would take that blood of the lamb, and he would take that into the holiest of holies, and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat to roll the sins of Israel back for another year, And he would do that for the nation of Israel one time a year on the Day of Atonement. We just came through that time uh, that our Jewish friends celebrated uh, the Day of Atonement in the middle of October just a few weeks ago. And so it was uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That was a proclaimed fast by God. So he did uh, encourage and command his people to fast on that day as they looked toward what God would do, and they look toward His provision of salvation. Apart from that fast, there's no other fast that God uh, really commanded them to do. And so the fasting that we see them doing as a nation was not God's idea. It was something they felt like they needed to do as a nation. So having understood that, let's consider when do we find the nation of Israel fasting. Tragically, I look in the Scriptures and I see them fasting at moments And in their life and in their walk, after God had delivered them through the Red Sea with a mighty hand out of Egypt, I see the nation of Israel fasting when they're in trouble with God. Let's verify that with the Scriptures. Let's go to some accounts that would show us how Israel fasted because they were in trouble with God. The first place that I would think of and that would come to my mind uh, would be in Exodus chapter number 32. In that passage, we find out Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days with God. And God has been giving him the law, and uh, he's been writing that law for Moses with his own finger on those tables of stone. And while Moses was up communing with God, we find the children of Israel getting themselves into trouble down below with Aaron uh, watching over them, and Aaron uh, in the place of Moses while he's away. We have Joshua halfway between Aaron and Moses, uh, halfway up the mountain waiting for Moses to come back down. As Moses was up communing with the Lord, the Lord had revealed to him that Israel had already departed from their covenant that they had made with the Lord, promising that they would serve him and that they had already given themselves to idolatry before Moses could even come down from the mountain. And the Lord basically uh, encouraged Moses to get down from the mountain because Israel was already in trouble. So Moses begins to descend the mountain with the tables of the law of God in his hands. And as he meets Joshua halfway down the mountain, Joshua has a concerned look upon his face because Joshua says Moses Moses there's a there's a noise of war in the camp and I'm not sure I'm not sure what's 
happening down there in Moses comforts Joshua in some way, but in another way it's a grievous thing that Moses has to share with Joshua because he tells them, no, it's not a sound of war, it's the sound of their lasciviousness and their unbridled lust taking over their heart and they've already broken the law of God. Now I'm paraphrasing that, but as they come down the mountain, the story continues, and Joshua and Moses, they descend, and they meet the children of Israel, and they find out they're, uh, they're, half, they're, they're, they're running around without their clothes on, and, and they're partying, and they're dancing, and they're, they're making all this ruckus, and all this noise, and there's music, and there's just a big party going on, and they're being merry with everyone, and and just having a good old time, and right in the middle of all of that, there's a golden calf that they have set up, and they began to worship that calf as Jehovah. And here Moses stands with the tables of the law of God in his hand, and the very first commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, Jehovah says. And in the second, he tells them that they should not make, uh, they shall not make any graven image because they are to worship the Lord thy God, and Him only they should serve. And here Moses stands with that law from God, and he looks upon their idolatry, and his heart breaks, I'm sure, and in complete control of all that was occurring, he takes those tables of stone as a living sermon before the children of Israel and smashes them before their very eyes as a picture of what they had done to the covenant promises that they had made with Jehovah they had already broken their word to him. Now God kept his word, he kept his promise, but it was the nation of Israel and their failure that let God down and did not do what they promised God they would do. And so Moses then grinds that that uh, golden calf up after he does some investigation. He finds out how they came into possession of that golden calf. Uh, they came to Aaron and Aaron is uh, is in the place of Moses there and Moses is absent and Aaron's trying to hold the fort down while he's gone. And so they come and they approach Aaron and they say, Aaron, we what not uh, what has happened to Moses and, and uh, make us a God that we can worship and make us a Jehovah that we can worship. And so Aaron has the plan to take all of the golden earrings and all of their gold bracelets and all of the things that they had taken out of Egypt that God had blessed them with on their way out and they they take all of that gold and they melt it down. and It's a comical thing almost. Uh, I, I laugh, I chuckle when I read that story every time because Moses, in a sense, uh, I'm paraphrasing again here, but he basically has the, uh, the thing that he says there where he says, I threw it into the fire and poof, out came a calf. And, and uh, it's almost like he didn't know how that happened. Somehow they had to fashion that into a calf and, Mo and Aaron is trying to pass the, pass the, the buck on that. And so... Uh, Moses then grinds that golden calf up and has everyone that was involved in that idolatry to drink of that bitter water as a picture of what they had done to God and the bitterness that would consume their soul. And upon the heels of that event, we find the nation of Israel is broken before God and they're fasting before God. And so they were fasting because they got in trouble with God. We fast forward through the nation of Israel and their history and we find out in the book of Numbers as they wandered in the wilderness. There was another account where they turned their back on God. You remember the story, we talk about it in Sunday school and we say the twelve spies were sent out and ten were bad and two were good. And those ten brought an evil report. And as Joshua and Caleb came back with those ten and they told everyone of all the wonders of the land that God had promised them and by faith they could go and take that land and they could have all the blessings that Jehovah had promised, these ten brought an evil report. And they discouraged the people of Israel from going in and taking God's promises and taking the promised land that He had said He would give to them. And so in their unbelief, they were cursed to walk for 40 years in a circle in the wilderness until everyone that was 20 years and older would die and their carcasses would fall in the wilderness because of unbelief. Upon the heels of that event, guess what we find? We find because the nation of Israel was in trouble with God, they began to fast and to try to seek the Lord. Now, let me encourage you. You should do all that you can to try to get right with God. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, but I do believe that they missed the mark on how God sees fasting. Because if we're only fasting when we're in trouble with Him, then fasting becomes more about us and less about what I think God 
would be concerned about when it comes to our fasting. Let's fast forward through the nation of Israel again, and let's find out another time that would verify that they fasted when they got in trouble with God. We come through their history, we find out they never really got rid of their idolatry, and God reached out to them time and time again with prophet after prophet, and they would hear the prophet of God raise up judgment against Israel and warn them that judgment would come if they didn't forsake their idols and serve the living and true God. And time and time again, God would have His messenger to send that message, and time and time again, they would reject the message that God would send, and stiff-necked and in rebellion they would turn away from God and they would seek to serve their idols and they couldn't get idolatry out of their heart and out of their life as a nation oh there were good people scattered through and through and there was a remnant for sure but by and large the nation went away from God they went a whoring after idolatry they went a a whoring after strange gods and it broke Jehovah's heart but he had warned them he had warned them when he gave them the law in the very beginning of it all that if they ever turned their back on Him and forsook Him, then they would find His judgment waiting. And He would raise up nations to judge them, and they would be dispersed, and they would be broken up as a nation, because they had turned their back on Jehovah, who had delivered them with a mighty arm, as Moses stood on the shores of the Red Sea and said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God had brought them out from Egypt and out of the bondage of Pharaoh with a mighty arm. And here they've turned their back on God time and time again. And His grace and His long-suffering continues to reach out to them and they turn their back on God. Turn their back on God. We fast forward through their history through the kings of Israel and we find that the day comes when Jeremiah the weeping prophet stands up and warns them of pending judgment that is coming and the the, Assyrians, the Babylonians are coming to take Israel away. They're coming to take Judah. The north had already fallen and the north tribes had already been taken captive by Assyria. And now judgment looms for those who are in Judah and Benjamin, those that remain, the last two tribes. And the final draw came when Nebuchadnezzar was on the horizon. And when they found themselves in trouble with God, we find the nation of Israel fasting in Jeremiah's day. Now, as they went into captivity, we see in Babylon, we see in Persia, after Babylon had fallen to Persia, we find out that there was a, there was a king that uh, was seeking for a queen, and you know the story of Esther, and in Esther's day, King Ahasuerus there on his throne, and all that Esther would, uh, would be seen doing by the providence of God, and being in a place for such a time as this with her uncle Mordecai there to help her along and give her counsel and guidance. Esther finds herself as the queen to Ahasuerus. And Haman has a wicked plot against the nation of Israel, against the Jewish people while they're in captivity. And we find out that they're in trouble and and they're about to be annihilated because they had sinned against God and incurred His judgment. And now Haman looms over them with a wicked, wicked plot to slay and kill all the Jews of the land. And Esther lays her life on the line and says to Mordecai, I'll go in and I'll seek Ahasuerus. And if he doesn't lower the scepter to me to allow me entrance into his presence, then my life will be forfeit, but I'm willing to do that. Esther laid down, was willing to lay down her life for the sake of her people. And she sent word back to Mordecai, encouraging Israel to fast in the days of Purim, when they were seeking God to deliver them from the wickedness of Haman and the evil plot that he had hatched. And so here again we see the nation of Israel fasting, and yet they're fasting because they had sinned and gotten in trouble with God. My friend, can I tell you, there's no good works, there's no amount of penance that you can pay, there's no amount of uh, goodness that you can do that will ever take away the black blot upon your life. There's no good works that will ever take you to heaven. There's no amount of fasting that you can do, there's no amount of, uh, of religious exercises and rituals that you can do that will gain you entrance into heaven. The only way to heaven is by faith through grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, in God's Messiah. And yet here is Israel trying to get right with God by fasting. 
Friend, if you're trying to get right with God by fasting, I would submit to you, you're following the wrong example. You're following a, an example of a nation that got in trouble with God and they're fasting to try to get right with Him. Like I said before, you need to do all that you can to get right with God. And if that means you need to say no to some things in your life, by all means, say no to things in your life. But friend, we miss the point. We miss God's heart on fasting when we're fasting only for ourselves because we got in trouble with God and we sinned against Him. We missed the mark on fasting. And so as we continue through the nation of Israel, we come to the days of the, of the post-exilic prophets. These are the prophets that God raised up after the exile, when God had promised that they would stay in captivity for 70 years and then return to the land. As surely as He promised, surely they returned. And under the leadership of men like Ezra and Zerubbabel, they came back, to Jerusalem, and the first thing they did was to rebuild the altar. In those days, Israel returned to the land, just a remnant, just a tiny amount of what was deported and what uh, who were carried out. Uh, the millions of Jews that went out from Israel, there were only about forty or fifty thousand that I understand returned with Ezra to go rebuild the altar and rebuild uh, where the temple would be in Jerusalem and begin to worship God again. And in those days, in the days that God would raise up prophets like Haggai and prophets like Zechariah. We find Zechariah and the nation of Israel and Ezra and all of them seeking God and they're fasting in those days. And they raised up four fasts. And they had a fast in the fourth month and in the fifth month. And they had a fast in the seventh month and the tenth month. Now remember, these are fasts that they would do four times a year outside of the one fast that God commanded for them to do every year on the Day of Atonement. These are four other fasts that they imposed upon themselves without really having God's direction on it. They just did this as a nation. And we find them fasting in the fourth month and the fifth month and the seventh month and the tenth month. And they're fasting because they got in trouble with God. Friend, I hope that you see the point here that I'm trying to make and belabor and that these words won't be wasted upon you that you'll understand the wrong way to fast. Friend, I don't think you should take your time fasting because you're in trouble with God. I think you should get right with God and you should confess your sins before Him and trust the blood of Jesus Christ His Son to cleanse you from all sin, and to just keep on cleansing you from all sin, and walk in a right relationship with God, and like Enoch of old, walk with God, like Abraham did, like Isaac did, like Jacob did, walk with God, like David did, walk with God, like Moses did, walk with God. These men weren't perfect men, but they knew how to walk with God. They weren't sinless men, but they knew how to walk with God. And so as you walk with God, I'm sure He'll lead you down a path that some way, somehow will lead you to where you have to say no to something and you might need to abstain from something for the sake of someone else's soul. And I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that You'll help Your people to understand fasting. Now, as we consider God's mind on fasting, and we've considered uh, the wrong way to fast, Looking at the nation of Israel as the prime example of the wrong way to fast, I want you to turn your attention now to what God says here in Isaiah chapter number 58 because I think this passage gives us His mind on fasting in a way that, uh, that will help us unlock some understanding and see the Scriptures clearly. Take your Bible, if you would, and look with me on our way to Matthew chapter number 6 in Isaiah chapter number 58. Again, Isaiah chapter number 58. We're going to read this and take it phrase by phrase, thought by thought, word by word. And we're going to look at what God says here to the nation of Israel through His prophet Isaiah about fasting. In Isaiah, in chapter and number 58, we turn over and we read these words. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people, look at the next word with me, their transgression. And the house of Jacob, notice this, their sins. So it is evident God is calling to mind the times where they've stepped over His boundary, where they have transgressed His law, where they have missed the mark, and where they have sinned. Notice He goes on to say, Yet, while they're in their sins, keep that in your mind, they have transgressed, they have sinned, and yet He says, They seek Me daily. Is it not a good thing to seek God daily? Shouldn't we have a daily time in the Bible where we get alone and try to seek God? 
Shouldn't we, as verse 2 goes on to say, delight to know His ways? Shouldn't that be our drive? But notice here the simile, as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. In other words, they're continuing to do this and yet they remain in their sins. They have not asked for forgiveness from God for the times where they had sinned against Him. And yet they continue on day after day like nothing ever happened, like everything's okay between them and God and it's not. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness when they didn't. They're pretending to be something they weren't and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They're pretending like they never forsook His ordinances and yet they did. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Oh, we're going to the temple today. Uh, we're, we're going to rejoice and be glad about this. And, and we should be glad to go to God's house, shouldn't we? But not when we're walking in sin and missing the mark before God and haven't gotten right with Him first. And we go and we seek the Lord and we say, Show us the right way, Lord. And He's already told us long ago and yet we persist in the wrong way in our stubbornness, in our stiff-neckedness. And so here they are, the hypocrites that they be. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. Explain that to me. They ask of me the ordinances of justice and take delight in approaching to God. Verse number 3, they're posing a question to God. And they say, Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou, the Lord, that is, seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? And so here's their argument before God. God, we've come before you and we've fasted, we've skipped food, we've, we've said no to meals, we've, we've gone days without eating, and, and we've gone all this time without drinking and without enjoying these things, and, and you're not seeing us, you're not hearing us because they remain yet in their sins. We've afflicted our soul. We, we put on ashes and sackcloth and we mourn and we wail and, and you're not doing anything. God answers and He says, Behold, in the day of your fast, ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. God sets them straight and reminds them of their hypocrisy and says, you say you're fasting, but you're finding pleasure in your fast. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. You're doing it for yourself and not for me. You're exacting all your labors. You're fasting, but you're not relieving anyone of their usury. You're, you're not relieving anyone of their debts. You're not setting anyone free. You're, you're, you're exacting all of your labors. There's a parable that Jesus told about an unjust steward who was forgiven his debt by his master and by his king, and was released from all of his, all that he had owed. And the sadness of that parable is that man, who had been forgiven so much, then turns around and goes out, and exacts all the monies that he can from those that owed him money. And when the Lord heard about that, when his king found out what he had done, and persecuting people who couldn't pay him back, that king put him in prison and locked him up. And the words of our Savior was that he wouldn't come out until he had paid the uttermost farthing. And here's Israel. They're trying to pretend like nothing's wrong between them and God, that they're innocent in all of this, and they're, they're, they're the victim, and, and they're fasting, and they're afflicting themselves, and yet they're still exacting everything from anyone that owes them anything. And it's, it's the picture of that parable of the unjust steward. He says, Behold, in the day of your fast you find pleasure and exact all your labors. The only one you're fooling is yourself. Behold, you fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist and wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day. That is, it could be translated this way. It says, ye fast not as this day. It says, you think you're fasting, but you're really not fasting. You might be afflicting yourself, but it's not a fast before me that is acceptable. Ye shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Verse number 5, the Lord asks a question through Isaiah and He says, Is it such a fast that I have chosen? 
See, these fasts, they were not chosen by Jehovah. There was one fast that He commanded His nation. Again, that was the Day of Atonement. But here, these fasts, they had self-imposed, and they did it without God's permission and without His choosing. He says, is it such a fast that I have chosen? The rhetorical answer is no. It's not a fast that the Lord chose for them. Is it a day for a man to afflict his soul? No, the Lord didn't desire that for them. Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Did the Lord prescribe that for them to be able to get right with him? No. Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? You see, they had missed the mark in their fasting because the whole purpose of their fasting was because they had gotten in trouble with God for their sins. Notice in verse number 6, he continues to ask these rhetorical questions. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? What is the fast that the Lord would choose? Oh, friend, look carefully at these next words, if you would, with me. The fast that the Lord would choose for His nation of Israel is to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Oh, this would be the fast that the Lord would choose. Now let me stop and just remind you right here with a question. Friend, are you saved? Do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? Is your faith in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who died to take away your sins, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world? If you have believed on Him by faith and are trusting Him and Him alone to take you to heaven where you can't go by yourself, you need a shepherd to take you. You need the good shepherd to lead you to those green pastures where you'll find eternal life for your soul. If you are saved, then may I say fasting is something you need to be serious about. But friend, if you're fasting to try to get right with God, if you're fasting to try to gain some kind of grace from Him, if you're fasting to try to gain His favor in any way, or to get out of being in trouble with Him, if you think He'll see you because you do some kind of penance, or you fast, or you abstain from something, then friend, you're missing the whole point of what God would have you to see. If you're saved then you're walking with the Lord as close as you can be to Him. He'll lead you to those times where fasting might be appropriate and necessary. As His disciples followed Him, they came into a, a time where prayer by itself and, and even the anointing of the Savior to be able to do the works that He had called them to do fell short of being able to help a father free his young son that he was so concerned about from a demonic possession. And here Jesus Christ comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and finds a strife and a debate happening among His disciples and this Father and the scribes and the Pharisees. And this Father's beside Himself and doesn't understand why the disciples of Jesus couldn't help His Son. And the disciples are perplexed as to what's going on and Jesus, in a magnificent manner, comes in and releases this young boy from his demonic possession. And the disciples are amazed, and all are astounded. This father who had said, Lord, I believe, help mine unbelief, now finds his son set free from this demonic possession and being made whole through Jesus Christ and faith in him. And his disciples wonder and they ask, Lord, why couldn't we cast this one out? And Jesus told them very plainly, This kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. There may be times as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you are saved and know you're on your way to heaven, that there may be times you'll be called upon to fast for the purposes of God, that others might be impacted. Oh, now we're beginning to understand a little bit more of God's heart and God's mind on how His people should be fasting. He says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen? In Isaiah 58, verse number 6, what is this? It's a description of the gospel work. It's a description of 
of the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ, the liberty that we have in Him. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free? And that ye break every yoke. Friend, that's the power of God that sets souls free. And he says, this would be the fast that I would choose. To fast so that others might come to salvation, that others might be freed, that others might be liberated through faith. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? Hey, you might need to go without a meal so that another might be able to have. There may be times where fasting would be appropriate because you're looking out for someone else before yourself. Oh friend, any cup of water that you give in the name of Jesus Christ, any bread that you deliver to another hungry soul in the name of Jesus Christ, will be returned doubly upon you for blessing from our Savior when He judges the quick and the dead. And it will not go unnoticed. Lord, when gave we we thee food? Lord, when gave we thee drink? Jesus will tell His disciples in that day, in that ye did it to the least of these, ye did it also unto me. When we can say no to ourselves so that we can help someone else find Jesus, friend, that would be a way that I believe you could have God's mind on fasting. Deal thy bread to the hungry. Again, we're not trying to get to heaven by this. We're trying to help others find heaven by our sacrifice and our labor of love. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Notice what God says will happen if we get His mind on fasting the way that He would have us to fast. He says in verse number 8, Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and He shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking of vanity, oh friend, we've got to understand there's a right way to fast. Let's not fast the wrong way. As we make our way to Matthew chapter number 6, just very briefly now, having done the groundwork and considered the Old Testament in a larger context and remembering that by the time Jesus says these words, fasting had evolved in the nation of Israel to a religious ritual so that they could look spiritual before God. I fast twice a, twice a week and I give to the poor and I do all of this. And Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter number 6, moreover, on top of everything He said about forgiveness and, and, about, the, and about the disciples' prayer and about how to pray in, in, in a corporate setting and how to pray in secret and how to give alms and what the purpose of the law was for and, and how our light should shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in, which is in heaven and how we ought to be salt and light and how we are to be walking the blessed life in the Beatitudes. Having said all of that, moreover, on top of all of that, Jesus says, when ye, plural, fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. There's a play on words that many commentators pointed out here, disfiguring their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. You see, they're disfiguring so that they might be able to appear. They're they're disappearing so that they can be seen in their disappearing. And if they are buying the praise of men, many commentators also pointed out the fact that they got what they were buying. They, They got what they paid for. They earned the praise of men. Jesus says, Truly, verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. It's temporal. It's not eternal. It's lost in the here and now and doesn't carry anything into the there and then of eternity. He says to His disciples, But thou, singular, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face. In other words, make it look like you're not fasting. No one else needs to know about this but you and God. You do this in secret, just like we pray in our prayer closet. And we learned about that 
earlier in this chapter. He says, that thou appear not unto men to fast. There's one who will see. It's thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now here's what I need you to validate and check for me because I couldn't find any commentaries that validated it for me. And I just want you to uh, make sure that I'm on the right track. I believe I have good contextual evidence for this and I believe that uh, we're on good ground with the Scriptures. But may I submit to you that I don't believe Jesus' words on fasting should be concluded right there. I believe that we should continue reading into verses 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, perhaps even beyond and take that into account into what Jesus is saying about fasting. And so, I want you to consider verses 19 through 23 in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 6, as being applied to fasting, just as the disciples' prayer would be applied to how Jesus said, When ye pray, so when ye fast, make sure your Father sees you in secret. And why are you fasting? May I submit to you that if you'll fast so that you can lay up treasure in heaven, then you're following what he says in verse number 19, where he encourages us as his followers to lay not up for ourselves treasures upon earth, where moss and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. You see, Israel was to be a light for God. And their light had become darkness because they had missed His purposes in many, many ways and fallen short. As we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. But as having been saved by faith through Him and heard His call to follow our Savior and say, wherever you lead, I'll go, having put our hand to the plow and not looking back as disciples now, pilgrims on a journey just passing through, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Oh friend, I pray that the next time you fast, it'll be on purpose. It'll be cause, it'll be because you're laying up treasure in heaven by helping another soul find Christ. You're fasting for gospel purposes. You're fasting to spread the good news. As we continue through the Bible, we see times where the early church would fast. We see Jesus himself fasting. We also take into account his words that while the bridegroom is with us, we don't fast, but the day would come for His disciples when He would ascend into heaven and be, be away from them. And He would go where they could not go then, but they would follow later. And during that time now, in the time which we find ourselves as followers of Christ, knowing that Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and we're seated in heavenly places in Christ and Him, and we have the blessed hope of His return, and that trumpet will sound one day, and He'll catch us all away until then. From the time He ascended into heaven to the time He will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ rising. Can I tell you that His disciples should be more serious about fasting because the bridegroom is absent. And He's given us another comforter. He's given us the Holy Spirit to be with us. But I think that we minimize fasting many times to our own detriment and our churches struggle because... This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Souls aren't saved because this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Lives aren't set free because this kind may not go out without some prayer and fasting. And so we must get serious about fasting. There were times in the early church 
after Jesus had ascended into heaven, when we find them praying and fasting, and those times in the book of Acts in the early days of the church, we see the apostles and we see the disciples fasting together in order to get God's mind about church planting, in order to get God's mind about spreading the gospel and sending the good news of Jesus Christ to the regions abroad. Acts chapter number 13, Acts chapter number 14, and in the book of 2 Corinthians, we find places there where the early church was called to fast together. And when they did so, it was because the Holy Spirit had come to them and said, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I've called them. That would be a great church planting endeavor, those missionary journeys of the apostle to go and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Ghost would move in that early church and in the church at Antioch and God's people would want to make sure that they're right with God and following Him and have His mind and have His will. Lord, do we send these men out? And they had confirmation as they prayed and fasted that it was for the gospel. And so, friend, if you fast today, I hope and pray that it will be fasting so that someone else might find Christ so that the gospel can go forward, so that the good news can be spread abroad and souls can be set free and folks might find Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that you'll understand better what our Savior says a little bit more when it comes to this idea of fasting. Would you pray with me as we close? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and how it reveals to us Your mind in so many ways. May we as Your disciples be faithful to fast when you call upon us to do so, when the moving of the Holy Spirit would lay someone upon our heart and mind, that we would need to say no to a meal or skip a drink or, or abstain from other pleasure or amenity in order to see them come to Christ. Oh Lord, I pray that we would be disciples with discernment, always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ as we fellowship with His sufferings we might be able to see the power of His resurrection, as the Apostle Paul said. And may our fasting center around, around this thought that for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Lord, may I lose my life, that I might find it through Christ. May I say no to something that I might be able to help another along the way be brought to Jesus. O oh Lord, bless Your people as they seek You in their fasting. And Father, have Your hand upon them and watch over them as we go out from this place as Your disciples. Lord, I pray that You would have Your will done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. But also, Lord, as You lead us along, may we know when we need to take our daily bread and give it to another that they might find Jesus. O oh Lord, help a soul to be saved as we go in the name of Jesus Christ, as Peter said to that man at the gate beautiful, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray your blessing upon your people as they go out as your witnesses, as salt and light, to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. Whatever the cost, Lord, may we lay it on the altar and take up our cross and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.